Welcome to TCS, the Tech Central show, previously known as TC Daily. We've changed our name, but we haven't changed our web address on YouTube, and you can access that at youtube.com slash techcentral. Hit the subscribe button, hit the bell icon, and you'll never miss another episode from Tech Central. Now, I'm joined remotely from Cape Town today by Brandon Doyle. He's the long-serving CEO of Convergence Partners, a private equity business focused on technology infrastructure investment in Africa. Brandon, it's uh, been a while. How how are you doing? Yeah, Duncan, thank you. Very good. And uh, good, uh, good day to you and uh, hello to all your listeners and viewers. And uh, um, no, it's been uh, it's been a, it's been a great time for Convergence Partners the last few years, and uh, we've had some some great successes. So, despite the challenges of having to work our way through various stages of lockdown and uh, various other challenges across the the markets that we're in, uh, we we've emerged very very strongly. So I'm pleased. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Brandon, um, I remember coming to see you and uh, your chairman Andile Khaba, um when Convergence Partners first got started, and I was trying to remember um, when that was. Uh, I think it was at your offices in Ilovo. You've been, are you still in those offices? No, we've moved to Rosebank. In fact, we're very much a new digital firm now, so we have people spread across uh, multiple jurisdictions. Um, uh, The core of our team is in Johannesburg and Rosebank, Um, a couple of us in Cape Town. Uh, We actually have a person in Paris who responsible for all of our investor relations and uh, interfaces with our investment community. Uh, we've got an office in Lagos um, with a couple of people there. Uh, we soon will have offices in Nairobi with a couple of people there. So it's very much a, a footprinted firm across the, the geography that we're in um, and using these digital tools nowadays to, to keep the team together and keep communications up. Okay. So that would have been, Duncan, that would have been early 2000s. We, we got yeah. going in 2003 originally um, is when we all came together and then launched our first investment vehicle in 2006. So it was probably around about then when we first uh, met up with you. Okay. So the business is 20 years old this year. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. That's right. So uh, uh, we will be uh, celebrating that fact, uh, of course. Yes. And, uh, and uh, in, in normal convergence style, it won't just be a party. It'll be some other form of get-together uh, that adds a bit of value to to the investing companies that we're invested in and uh, and our team. So, so you and Adila have been in business then together for for a considerable period of time now. How did you first meet him? How did this uh, business uh, get off the ground originally? Yeah, so we, I was uh, the head of investment banking at Nedbank, um, and Adila was introduced to me when he was stepping down as the former DG of, of communications. He had served nine years in that role and was really kicking around looking for other things to do and, and had some some ideas as to where the opportunities to, to invest in would be um, in terms of the, the future world that he was seeing at the time. Uh, and needed advisors and bankers and providers of capital to help him on that journey. Um, so it started off with Nedbank really operating as, as, his, as, as his advisor capital provider. Yeah. And then it got to a point where the, the, the extreme ends of what we were doing as a bank for Andila didn't really uh, hang all that well together as a banking organization. And with Nedbank's permission, and it was a very mature process at the time, uh, Andila had, had a long and, and interesting chat to Tom Boardman, who was the then CEO, and Brian mm. Kennedy, who was my boss at Nedbank Capital. 
Um, and what we agreed is that we'd split convergence partners out of NetBank um, with its assets. And NetBank were, in fact, our first providers of capital. And that's a relationship that's continued to this day as a very strong okay. uh, banking relationship with the NetBank group. Yeah, no, and then we decided at that time, really, was yeah, with with the capital we'd raised, what what opportunities we were going to pursue in the market, and that really launched Convergence Partners as as an investment vehicle at the time. Right. Okay. And has it has it always had a focus on the sort of private equity space, or have you made venture capital type investments as well? Yeah. So we have done some earlier stage stuff, Duncan. I mean. I, I guess uh, just to shape uh, that answer, so our focus really has been a couple of areas. So firstly, geographically, um, our investment focus is, is sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started off very South Africa-centric, I guess, in the targets that we were pursuing as a small investment company with a, a handful of people and, uh, and, and quite modest sums of capital um, that would only stretch so far. We were looking, really looking for targets that um, – we could assist in their growth across the continent. But Sub-Saharan Africa has been our, our ge- geography. ICT investing has really been our core focus, well, in fact, our only focus. Mm-hmm. And then within ICT, we've gradually developed a, a core competency and a core investment thesis around the, the infrastructure layer of, of telecoms. And that's really where we spend most of our, 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 our energies and, and efforts, not exclusively, but that's mm-hmm broadly where where our focus has been so let's let's talk a little bit and, about and, 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 and then to, sorry and to answer your question yeah. yeah so private equity is really what we do so we're more looking for mature stage businesses that are already profitable solid management teams uh, growing um, cash positive but we are growth capital providers so right. we, uh, as opposed to many funds that are buyout funds we growth capital providers so we inject monies into businesses to help them uh, meet their strategic ambitions. Um, and then we have, particularly in telecom infrastructure, moved quite early stage uh, into the project development stage. So there's a number of uh, investments we hold or have hold, held historically where we, are, in fact, provided the risk capital to develop okay. those initiatives um, at project development stage and help founders uh, to get those opportunities to bankable feasibility stage and the like. Right. And then we also have done a few earlier stage venture type investments, particularly in our first balance sheet, we did quite a bit of that. Um, and then I, I think we got to a point where we really felt that we had the disciplines more of project equity and private equity than we did of venture capital. It requires different skill sets, different engagement models with founders, uh, but we really wanted to be involved, uh, remained involved in venture capital. So what we did, we actually parceled up our venture portfolio and reverse that into a VC fund based in Cape Town, uh, 40R Capital, and ended up being an investor in their fund. And and subsequent to that, we've done um, investments into other venture capital funds from time to time, just to remain abreast of what's happening in the venture world, hopefully to contribute back into that community, um, and then find businesses that mature out of those portfolios that are more ready for private equity style capital and, and then put money to work into okay. those, those investments. And that's, that's worked quite well, I believe, for both us as well as these VC funds that we've been backing. Yes, yes. I remember the, uh, the deal you did with, uh, with 40i Capital. I, I think I came through, mm-hmm. in fact, to your Elova offices at the time uh, to speak to both you and to Justin Stanford of 40i Capital. And, that's right, yeah. And that's unpack right. some of that. 
But to, to talk to talk to me a bit about some of the deals that you've done to date. Um, you've, you've invested in thirty five businesses approximately uh, since your founding. Um, what, what are some of the more successful investments that you've made in that time? Yeah, and I, I guess answering that question depends on how you measure success. Um, as, a, as a firm, we really look at it across two very key metrics, and, and both are important to us and to our investors. The one is financial returns, obviously, and you know, delivering solid financial returns at, at risk levels that are appropriate for, for us as an investor and for our backers, and, and then also generating strong development impact. Um, and, and really, you know, we, we, and, and that's something that we just we don't just pay lip service to. We've in fact developed our own bespoke development impact measurement tools, mapping back to the sustainable development goals of the United Nations on an auditable framework. Uh, and it's something we now ingrained into the, the philosophy and measurement of the firm, both the way we report as well as the way we reward our own team. Um, so it's, it's something we take very seriously. Um, and across that spectrum, then, obviously, the Nirvana are businesses that generate both, both strong financial returns as well as good development impact. And when you're building out greenfields, uh, broadband infrastructure of the nature of what we've been doing, you know, it's been a very good journey from a financial returns point of view. Uh, these, these sorts of assets have proved to be very resilient during difficult times, uh, and, re and that's across Resiliency, uh, whether it's across COVID lockdowns and the, and the impact that that had. In fact, we were a net beneficiary of that, uh, as more of these digital tools, like we are we are using today, have become much more prevalent. The bandwidth and data requirements of these tools has just exploded. Um, so the need for all this digital infrastructure has just keeps growing, and we 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 are always amazed by how much more the uptake there ends up being on these networks that we build out than, than we originally project. So, so it's been a good place to be. So financial returns have been solid, but because you're building out green, uh, green fields uh, or brownfields networks, um, the development impact is also, also sound. I mean, what we, the, the model we prefer is wholesale open access. And we think that's the model that not only has the best return outcomes, but also has a, the best impact outcomes in the sense that you're really building one network for many um, for many suppliers of end services, um, rather than kind of single networks for a single uh, market-facing participant, um, as was the case before we launched Convergence. So, um, but uh, some of the initiatives that we've been involved in, you know, and this really goes back to the early days of Convergence. You know, if I look at our first um, fund, as it were, which is more a permanent capital vehicle. Um, we were early investors into things like Seacom, and Seacom uh, was the first subsea fiber network serving the East Africa seaboard. There was just no fiber uh, in that region at all. It was a satellite-only market. And satellite has its use, but its use for sure is not to provide backbone internet infrastructure. It's just too expensive and carries uh, traffic oh yeah that's way too thin for that we've launched satellites ourselves so we still see use case for satellite but it's really point to multi-point uh, particularly in markets where distribution um, either of a broadcast signal or gathering of of um, uh, of data from um, let's say a mobile network that is uh, spread across the country such as the DRC um, you know that really is it does have its place 
Uh, but East Africa was was using satellite for as a safe backbone. Um, so you're getting crazy outcomes. You know, Kenya had uh, was getting internet at like ten thousand dollars a meg and, yeah, uh, and, and these sorts <laughs> of things. So, so when we launched Seacom, yeah, it was an interesting time for us because you know, when we launched Seacom, it was us and, and a few other like-minded investors. Um, and the telco operators at the time, you know, all expressed a similar view, which is really, are you, you guys going to be able to do this and are you going to compete with us? Are you going to assist us? Uh, there was a lot of skepticism about whether we could pull this off. And, uh, and on both those measures, um, financial returns as well as, um, as impact, Seacom you know, has been a, a terrific journey. We, in fact, still invested in Seacom, as are many of the original founding investors. Um, I think it's, uh, talks to the quality of the asset and, uh, and, and, and what the investor group thinks of it. Um, and of course, Seacom has developed over time into something quite different to what we originally launched. So that is a, a, an example of a good, a good story for us. Um, another more recent um, interesting um, uh, success has been our joint venture with, uh, with Google IFC and Mitsui. Um, so Google had um, done some fiber deployments um, in Uganda and Ghana um, under a, uh, the banner of a, of a project initiative of theirs called Google Link. Uh, and it was really an attempt by Google to get more eyeballs on screens um, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to push their, their own key core agenda, which obviously their core product sets um, uh, just require more people to be online. Um, and pick two difficult markets, um, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the case of Uganda, a landlocked market, to see whether you can find a business model for building out high-quality uh, metropolitan fiber and access fiber. Mm-hmm. And they'd been doing that for some years and then realized that maybe they needed some, some other capital and some friends at the table, and we were invited in together with IFC and Mitsui um, to assist them with that. And that's been an interesting journey since then, because not only has it been about expanding the reach of those networks in, in, in both Ghana and Uganda, uh, and you know, we're by far and away now the, the largest independent fiber operator in, in those two markets under what is now called C-squared. Um, we've also been able to find business models to successfully go into uh, more difficult uh, frontier-style markets. So markets like Liberia, Togo, more recently the DRC, and found ways to finance initiatives into those markets um, and generate a successful equity uh, return um, at acceptable risks um, and, and built a management team that's able to go into markets like that and build greenfields um, um, infrastructure. So, so that's a, a more recent and, and very successful journey. Um, obviously, we part way through that journey as opposed to at the end of that journey. Um, then uh, also in the fiber in the fiber environment, we were uh, relatively early stage investors in Vumatel, um, and Vumatel then obviously folded into the um, into the CRBA Dark Fiber Africa, uh, and then we exited that uh, at the time of the announcement of the of the Vodacom interest there, um, and that you know, so that's an end to end journey for us that that um, was was a good financial outcome and also an amazing development impact outcome. Um, outside of fiber, um, some interesting things we've done, you know, we've been backing different wireless technologies for, for a long time. Um, we have a business in our portfolio called Comsol, uh, which is a South African business. And uh, Comsol, at an early stage, we pivoted that business away from being a provider of microwave links 
to third-party telcos um, as a project um, service um, into a network-owning business and acquired our own spectrum. And at the time we acquired the spectrum, you know, once again, it was, you know, um, it, it, I don't think uh, it was a deep understanding of why we thought the spectrum that was being acquired made sense. So this is the millimeter band spectrum allocations. Mm. So we're talking kind of 28 gigahertz spectrum, uh, which at the time, you know, there was very few global deployments in, in, in that sort of spectrum band, but it's dedicated ITU spectrum for telecoms use and really moves you away from the high interference um, spectrum in, in, say, Wi-Fi and the like. But also, it doesn't sit in those GSM family of spectrum, which you, know, uh, you can't really compete in terms of the mobile operators, what they're willing to pay for for that, that spectrum on, on these auctions and the like. So it was, and, and we were tracking some technology uses of millimeter band globally. And what we were finding is that you were able to get really interesting um, uh, data throughputs. And obviously, because of the, the way in which spectrum in millimeter band works, you get, you're getting much more bandwidth for um, the same quantity of spectrum, sure. of course. It's just the, the, the science behind it. But we were, what, what was pleasing is that you didn't need to have these micro cells. 28, uh, 28 gigahertz spectrum works on a basis that you can actually get quite decent coverage and still get very good um, data power at the, at the edge of those cells. Um, which is quite unique. Um, and so we, 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 did, we acquired the largest allocation of that spectrum in South Africa and, and, and subsequently have been building up this national network, which is really a gap filler for fiber. Um, mm -hmm. To go where fiber is a sub-economic sub in terms of the cost of building fiber for the size of the economy you're reaching or the, or the end user capacity to spend. Um, and I think we, I think we must, but it's uh, gone beyond that. I think we must get the Comcell guys so, on the show, actually, because I haven't spoken to them in a while, and they are doing some very interesting yeah. stuff. So I think let me look at doing yeah, that. But um, I was interested in what you're saying about Seacom. I mean, you've been invested in there for a considerable period of time. Some of these other businesses that Convergence Partners has invested in has also been fairly long-term. I think Comsol has also been quite a, a long-term investment for, uh, for Convergence Partners. Your typical private equity firm typically, correct me if I'm wrong, looks to invest and exit after maybe five years or so. You seem to be taking more of a long-term approach to the investments that you're making. Are you bucking the sort of trend in private equity by doing that? Um, to some degree, Duncan. So, I mean, as I said, so our first capital vehicle was a permanent capital vehicle, so it's unconstrained as to timing of exit. Okay. Um, our second two, uh, our second fund and now this new third fund that we just launched are longer-term funds. Uh, in fact, the, the current fund we just launched is a 12-year fund, which okay. um, it, it does go beyond what your normal, typical 7- to 10-year private equity fund life is. And the, the simple reason for that is is because our core investments are into green and brownfields, telecoms infra, mm -hmm. you know, those are longer-term initiatives by their very nature. And you know, our, our investors agree with that. Um, so the, the cycle of finding an opportunity building that opportunity into something that is investable, then building the process and management capabilities around that and maturing the business to a point that it becomes exitable yeah, is, is a much longer end-to-end -end cycle than just a classic private equity investment into a mature business that you hold and grow for three, four, five years and then, and then look yeah. for an exit. We do do that, of course, as well. So there are a number of businesses that haven't, 
been as long-term hold as, as the ones you call out. Um, some that we've held for as short as two to three years, um, where we've really put our growth capital in those businesses scaled very quickly and then suitors have come knocking. So mm-hmm. it is a mixed bag for us. Um, and and more increasingly now we are trying to balance our portfolios that we get a, a good spread of holding more classic private equity style investments for a more normalized window and these longer term um, infrastructure type holds. Okay. Great. So let, let's talk about the, the uh, latest news then out of Convergence Partners. Uh, you announced on the 30th of January that uh, you have closed your new infrastructure fund valued at a considerable $296 million US dollars that uh, in a soft currency t- today anyway converts to 5.2 billion rand. Um, I think it's gone up by 100 million since you announced the deal actually. <laughs> um, tell me a bit about this new fund. It's been open for some time. I think you first uh, opened it in 2020. Uh, who are some of the big names who have invested uh, in this round and what do you intend to use this particular fund to invest in? Yeah, sure, Jacob. So we we did launch in 2020 the actual capital raise process. Our right. first close, though, was in July of 2021, um, uh, when we actually were then open for business with a, if you like, a minimum viable amount of capital. And then subsequently, there's been uh, a number of interim closes, and and what you talk about that's just been announced has been the final close announcement. So, mm-hmm. so we have been open for business and and actively making and seeking investments. Um, from a from a capital raise point of view, it was a, a very interesting process because having launched when we did, uh, I think our expectation was that we would find traction with our existing uh, institutional backers because um, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully we've proven to them the quality of our offering. Um, what has been very pleasing is that we found traction with a number of new logos in this fund. So. If you look from Fund 2, if memory serves, we had seven or eight investors in in Fund 2. We're now sitting at 13 or 14 investors in in Fund 3. So there's a number of new faces at the table. And some of those new logos were, in fact, in the first close. So, uh, um, and and that's always quite quite strong market validation of what you're doing. Yeah, Duncan, so uh, so we've got these two two buckets of of investors that we talked to um, and that have backed us. The first... And, and the primary amount of capital has come from the, the global development finance community. Uh, and that's out of the U.S. as well as out of Europe. Um, so the likes of, of the DFC out of Washington, the f- formerly OPEC, um, IFC, um, you know, the investment arm of the World Bank, mm-hmm. uh, in turn into Europe, the European Investment Bank, uh, and then many of the European state-owned development banks, so whether BRI out of the UK, formerly CDC, FMO out of Holland, um, Proparco out of France, um, the Swiss Development Bank, uh, Bio out of Belgium, uh, FinFund, um, DEG out okay. of Germany. So yeah, they are all backers of ours. And then, and then the, the second uh, bucket is really more, um, uh, more commercial monies, a pension fund and, and other monies. Uh, and there we have you know, Kenjin, which is the um, the pension fund associated with the, um, the electric utility in Kenya. Uh, we've got the Mine Workers Pension Fund here in South Africa, the PRC, um, and of course ourselves. We also put money into our own funds as Convergence and, and the team. So, so that's really the spread of our investors. 
the theme for of investing for us is yeah, so we have gone from a, just under two hundred million dollar fund for fund two to as you say just under three hundred million dollars uh, for fund three. Um, very much the same. We've changed the name a, a bit from a, com, uh, a communications infrastructure fund to a digital infrastructure fund, and that talks a little bit about where we see the market opportunity changing, um, and and where our emphasis will be. And and it's almost maps the, our three funds map the the key utilization of networks, the themes that we've seen over these three cycles. So mm-hmm. when you first put convergence together, it was very much a voice network that had been deployed by the mobile operators and some of the former state-owned telecom incumbents in, in the various markets. But that was purposed for voice, um, and it wasn't wasn't a great carrier for data. So sort of how do we build out data networks with what we saw coming down downstream at us, which is much more data demand. Fund two then was much more about how do you move that now into the conversation around broadband? You know, how do you get proper broadband capacity into the hands of as many people as possible because of the use case of that broadband data in sub-Saharan Africa? So it's not just about Netflix and uh, and YouTube and the like. It's uh, It's also about some you know, services that can be delivered digitally that close some of these service gaps that exist. So whether that's in financial services or education, healthcare and the like, yeah, there was this need to ramp up capacities that go into people's hands and you're starting to see smartphones getting uh, getting rolled out and using much more data at, at the individual level. So that was really fun too. Fun three, really what we're about now is this new cloud and AI environment. And it really is a step change. You know, I think people are underestimating the extent and pace at which things are changing as a consequence of these new technologies that are coming to play. So for us, the change up is not so much we're now no longer going to invest in telecoms infrastructure. It's really telecoms infrastructure that is fit for purpose for this new evolving world. Um, so we're going to ramp up more of our investing in, in data centers, um, but not just classic data centers. Also, what what do these new edge networks look like? You know, how are we going to deliver quick response time data at the edge of networks um, using miniaturization of, of, of equipment and the like as the means to deploy? So edge networks, um, what do the sensor networks look like and the video networks look like to enable real-time artificial intelligence um, to be delivered to customers? So. So for us, we, we're really when the way we're looking at this is to say, where are the management teams that that understand this evolution? Because um, not everybody does. What are the business models that are going to emerge after this evolution? And what are the network architectures that are going to support this evolution? And, okay. um, and it's, as I say, it's a very, very profound change. Um, on the face of it, it might look like just a lick of paint, but it's, uh, yeah. it's absolutely not. And if you look at the... At, yeah, there's just so many things that are changing at once. Whether it's technology with 5G, I think a lot of people are underestimating the power of these 5G technologies and what it's actually going to deliver, um, and what, you know, and and how the mobile operators are going to interface with the market and the new business models that this is going to enable and create. Um, you know, as a public cloud and the emergence of what Amazon and Google and Ali, Ali Cloud and the like are building and, and, and Microsoft are building as solution stacks on top of their cloud. You know, people still in their minds think of cloud as it's a way of migrating your kind of storage 
into the cloud and maybe you can do some data manipulation or having a single view into your data. Where this is evolving to is going to be much more sophisticated than that. And, and for, for, for the African environment, it's, it's, it's a massively positive step because it's going to commoditize the whole AI stack and it's going to commoditize a lot of compute and, and applications um, to the point of much greater affordability. Um, yeah. And these things then become re relevant uh, price points to to deal and tackle with some of these social yeah. uh, social gaps I've spoken about. So, so a lot of what we're doing is is moving in that direction. The other is then looking beyond infrastructure. So we we've always invested beyond infrastructure, but we we're quite mindful of what we do, um, and where are these adjacencies that we can invest in that really make sense. To us, given the nature of, our, of, the, of the investor we are, and given the skills we have as a business, so fintech for for some time has been a big theme for us. Um, but fintech has always been more this kind of growth capital private equity model that I've spoken about before, mm -hmm. which is where do we find businesses that are helping with the digital transformation in financial services that are already existing businesses? They're not competing with the banks. They're not competing with the mobile operators. They're supporting that transformation journey. Um, and how do we provide capital into them to, to assist them with that? Now we're starting to see some emerging new trends that really cross over the, uh, this, the infrastructure world and the, the, fi the fintech world um, yeah, and, and, or, and or cross over the, the, the telecoms world and the fintech world. So yeah, in Fund2, we invested in a business called ChannelVas, which is now called Optasia. And they are services provided to the mobile operators, scraping data from the mobile operators, returning it as a credit score uh, for those mobile operators to offer airtime credit and, uh, oh, with yes. very low defaults and, and the like. So it's, a, again, a high-impact business because it's not price gouging the market, very low defaults, so it's not over-leveraging um, the bottom of the pyramid subscribers. Um, so that, that's been another great story for us. But those sorts of businesses are, are the businesses we like because, uh, yeah, because you know, we, uh, I think there will be winners in, in some of the other fintech players, the neobanks and uh, some of these new emerging um, uh, crypto and blockchain fueled businesses. For sure, there will be winners in that space. But picking those winners who are then competing uh, for spend and capital against the majors like the banks and, and telecom operators, we think that's that's a tough thing for us as an investor. Maybe there are other investors that are wired differently that can, that can do that, mm -hmm. but we're still looking for those new emerging mature fintech players that are right. proving up their business models and that are sitting adjacent to the major players and it, it, basically building a business off of other, uh, other people's um, uh, customer base rather than trying to build your own customer base from scratch. That's that's what, what interests us in this space. And then what we're seeing there is now the emergence of new credit businesses. And that's where we think this fintech market needs to evolve to, is that uh, you know, just simply offering new digital payments um, or being a neobank to the, to the underbanked. It's difficult, I think, to find a business model there that is gonna ultimately uh, make a good return on, on that capital. Um, I think you do have to evolve into being a credit provider um, and, and make better use of third-party capital that is not equity. Um, and we started to see some very interesting plays in, in, in that space. Okay. And, and your investments for Fund3, do you see them 
mainly being channeled into South Africa or are you seeing uh, some interesting opportunities emerging in other markets on the continent? Where do you see the money from Fund 3 flowing to? Yeah, so we, we, we see it being spread uh, very broadly across, across the, the continent, uh, sub-Saharan uh, continent. We, we, we do not invest in North Africa. Uh, we will go into North Africa through a, an existing regional play, but we wouldn't invest directly there. Um, so we will spread it around. I mean, and, and obviously the expectation of our investors is that we end up with a balanced portfolio from a geographic point of view. And we proved that we were able to do that in, in our first and second fund. So there's no, uh, yeah, we've, we've got investments in Mozambique and Malawi and, as I said earlier, Togo and Liberia. And yeah, so we, we were able to find interesting opportunities that return good investments, even in the smaller markets, uh, even in markets where, yeah, I think the, the gra- capital gravitates towards big centers of GDP. So, Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, Egypt really attracts most of the PE and VC money. And we will put money to work in those markets, of course, but not exclusively. We will, we will spread, spread the capital around. And the opportunities that come out of uh, the, the benefit of having been involved in, in, in telecoms investing, Duncan, for, for as long as we have is that markets don't evolve and mature at the same pace. So, Really, the business models and the technology models that worked in a more mature market are, you can then start thinking about bringing those, the, the, that style of thinking with localization. Because there, we see a lot of guys who think you could just um, forklift a business model from, say, South Africa or Nigeria into an adjacent market. You have to be very, very conscious of the local dynamics, whether that's regulatory or the way in which people on the ground uh, consume bandwidth, affordability issues, um, uh, how do you deploy the network in terms of environmental issues. So there are things you, of course, have to think about, but you can, as a private equity investor, start thinking about other markets as as markets mature and infrastructure becomes more commoditized and therefore doesn't really generate a private equity return, it's more a utility-style return, there are other markets that uh, you can still generate those outsized um, early stage investment returns. So that's that's how we, we think about it. But one thing I will say is that the pace of change, though, you know, it's great to say that and, and map that out, but the pace of change is accelerating. Uh, you've probably been following the story of this chat GPT. I mean, if you look at how quickly... I mean, it's just insane. I mean, it built 100 million global subscribers in two months. And if you just map that back to other apps or other solutions that have, that have emerged in the last 10 years, yeah, it, it, like TikTok, I think, took nine months to get to that number. Um, um, yeah, I, I think Instagram took like two and a half years and Facebook and Twitter took longer. And so it's not only that these new applications are finding an audience that much quicker, is that each iteration of these new developments finds uh, it sort of builds on what's happened before it, and and you've got this accelerating machine that's going on, and uh, and keeping pace with all that is is critical. So. Now, tell me the, the fund one and two, the the capital that you raised for those two funds, is that now fully deployed? Yes. Yeah. So. So fund one, um, because it's permanent capital, there's flexibility of capital there, so we can raise and we do still raise some capital into the vehicle itself and or its uh, portfolio companies. 
Um, and uh, so we, within boundaries, of course, we uh, we're conscious of our status as fund managers to to other private equity funds and 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 what we promise our investors in those funds. But within defined parameters, we we were able to continue to invest there and continue to raise capital there. Uh, fund two is, but and we do that in a very modest uh, modest scale at the moment. Mm-hmm. Fund two is fully deployed, um, okay. and it's really been about growing those businesses and and building them to exit. We have had a number of exits. We should be announcing uh, another two exits on that fund in the next very short while. Um, and um, okay. some, again, some very positive outcomes for us. Um, and then fund three, we very much at the early deployment stage. Um, right. We've announced one one investment to date. And I think we may have announced our second investment or I might be front running the announcement, but we <laughs> have, have made an investment in, so we invested in a business in South Africa called C-Track. That was our first investment, um, which was on the face of it looks like a vehicle tracking business, but it's much more than that. You know, they, you might remember, Duncan, there was a business called Digicore that was listed on the JSC yes. many years ago. And this is the evolution of Digicore. So it's a business that understands that heavy fleet industry deeply and then yes. tracks data on devices that are embedded into these vehicles in the field and returns that data back to these fleet owners with very meaningful inputs for them to operate and, and risk manage their business and get operational efficiency. So whether it's driver behavior, safety and security, vehicle maintenance, fuel management, trip management, you know, there's a, a lot of, it's basically a big mobile IoT data engine for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why okay. we invested there. And then more recently, we've invested in this business called Merit, um, which is currently based Merit. in Nigeria. Uh, and that's a wireless wholesaler. And they've uh, basically been deploying networks using technologies where they can reach the underserved communities, even in an urban environment, um, with high broadband um, capacities. And then they offer that to the mobile operator. So they don't directly face, it's not a B2C, it's a B2B wholesaler. And they offer that to the mobile operators as a way to extend their network reach uh, on a shared infrastructure basis into communities that are otherwise quite difficult for them to find an, an economic case for. Um, so again, that's that's another op- example of something that ticks the development impact bucket for us quite strongly. Before I let you go, I just want to talk a bit about the investing landscape in 2023. Uh, we've seen uh, the U.S. stock market coming under some pressure with the tightening interest rates environment. Um, it, it seems the U.S. Fed is going to continue tightening. What, what is this? Uh, um, what is this global context? This global environment mean for investment in technology companies in Africa? Are you seeing? I mean, there's been a lot of money flowing into venture capital across the continent, but do you think that uh, perhaps with uh, risk appetite declining somewhat in this tightening interest rate environment, that that uh, global investors are, are looking perhaps to slightly less risky uh, investment opportunities, perhaps through the private equity type route? Yeah. Definitely, Duncan. So, I mean, in a way, we've been purposefully slow in, in, in deploying capital out of a new fund because we have been worried about the, the price reset that we thought was inevitable off the back of everything, uh, including in technology. And that has happened to some degree. There are pockets where we think it could still come off a bit more. Uh, but we're now finally seeing in the, in, in the, in the African context, um, bringers of opportunities to us 
have now got more realistic valuations in mind. So, um, so that's why we now feel much more comfortable in, in more aggressively investing. Um, and 100% to your point is that, you know, I think there was a lot of investment appetite and a lot of capital raised for this geography, which we see a lot of kind of risk off behavior now started to come to the fore. The opportunity we see and, and uh, is, is that there's a lot of quality businesses out there that have been well capitalized, but still need additional rounds of capital to really get to where they need to. Um, and the role we see ourselves playing is is finding those businesses that then get to um, get to a point where they, there's a lack of support from the capital sources they had before because of this right. risk off um, issue, um, and and really find quality businesses that we can then continue to support. And that's very much these businesses that are in that VC to PE transition that are maturing but now running out of rope from a capital point of view. So. So we think it creates great opportunity, um, and hopefully we can play a role to help those those founders and those existing shareholders to to find a pocket of capital um, to continue growing those businesses out. Great. And lastly, how long do you think it's going to be before you have fully com- committed the capital in Fund Three, and uh, and you're out in the market uh, looking to raise funds for Fund Four? Yeah, so we've got we've got a five year window to deploy the capital. Obviously, we've already eaten into some of that right. because we had the first close in in twenty twenty one. So that's the normal window. We'd ha- we'd hope to deploy the capital before then. Um, so within the next two to three years, uh, be done, um, and then obviously turn to to the market for for a fourth fund. At the same time, we are you know, we're mindful of some of the you know, up till now. Uh, telecoms has been a fairly benign negative impactor, uh, particularly talking about climate change in terms of, of as a consumer of of power and energy. Um, as we move into this high intensity bandwidth world and more data centers get built out, that equation starts changing, and telecoms becomes a much more power hungry um, um, uh, utility. So we, we're in the early stages now of launching a, a parallel themed fund. Uh, so we're coming to market now with a, what we call a sustainable energy fund. Um, so we're not really waiting for fund three to be fully deployed because this is a different theme. We have um, already ch- started choosing a team to, to run that, that fund for us. But partly it's as, as an offset for some of the negative impacts that telecoms might now be doing. And partly because we think as more and more generation um, you know, green generation capacity comes on stream. There's a need for building out the technology layers that sit between generation and consumption. You know, whether that's smart grids or you know, uh, energy exchange type platforms um, and the key enablers in the ecosystem that going to make um, to make fuel this, uh, the, the whole energy new emerging energy economy. Um, so. Um, so we'll soon be in market raising that fund. Fantastic. Lots of stuff on the go, Brandon. Uh, very good to catch up with you after so many years. Brandon Doyle is uh, CEO of uh, Convergence Partners. Look forward to having you on the show again at some point to talk about some of these investments that you're planning. A pleasure, Duncan. Thank you very much.